This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Open your Bibles, if you would. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Now, if you've got a stellar memory and you were here last week, you may be saying, whoa, isn't that what we looked at last week? Well, it is. Uh, And we're going to start there again today. Uh, We are in a series called Refocus. And what we're doing is we're taking about five or six weeks to refocus uh, what we are about. We are looking at what are our... uh, what are our values? What's, what are the core components of our mission? What do we want to understand uh, about our mission together and what God's called us to accomplish as a people and as a church? And so that's what we're looking at. We're, we're talking about that. Last week we talked about the Great Commission, and I'm going to launch from there again today. So let's read Matthew 28, and then uh, I'll pray, and we will, uh, we will leap in. Matthew 28. Now to the 11 disciples, I'm starting 16. Now to the 11 disciples, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is glorious to us. You are, you are glorious to us. And thank you for speaking to us through your word. And we just pray to you t- today that you would open our eyes to understand what it is you call each of us to individually, what you're making us to be and, and what you're what your process is in our life and, and what, your, what your goal is among your people. Lord, help us to better understand your mission. We want to be about your mission and not ours. We want to be about your agenda, your purpose, um, not ours. So show us today, teach us, and transform us, and help us, we pray. And anyone here who may not know you, we pray that today would be the day that the lights go on and the Savior is revealed and they turn and trust you with all their heart. May it be, Lord. May it be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we looked at this passage last week, and we talked about the fact that in this passage, Jesus has fulfilled his work. So this is really important. I want to get this super clear at the beginning, because this is the basis of everything I'm going to say this morning, that when Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples, he has already done everything that is needed for us to know him and become followers of him. He has died on, he's lived a perfect life in our place, obeyed the law when we could not and would not. He has died on the cross for our sins. So in the testimony we heard this morning that being a Christian is not about behaving enough and obeying enough to be accepted by God. It's coming to realize that Jesus obeyed in our place and that Jesus died and took the punishment that's due us for our sins. So Jesus died as our substitute, and then he was raised from the dead to defeat the power of the enemy. And so now, if we believe in him, if we turn from our sin and trust in him, we receive new life. We become new people. 
And so now he's saying to his followers here, you go and make disciples. And he says, here's how you do it. You do it as you go and by baptizing and by teaching. So as you go in your normal course of life, some are called to go to nations and go to places that don't have the gospel. Most are called in their daily life as they go to make disciples, to tell people about Jesus, and then once they believe, to baptize them, um, and then to teach them to obey, to help them grow as believers. So if that's our mission, we said our mission as a church is to make disciples, because that's the command in the verse, make disciples by going, by teaching by baptizing, by baptizing teaching. So if our mission is to make disciples, and we've said we want to make disciples, we're called to make disciples who love Jesus, his church, and his world. That's what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. It seems to me that it's really important that we understand this. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? That's a word that we could just toss around without defining. What is a disciple? Now, what you're about to see is something you hadn't seen in this church, um, and that's a topical sermon. I'm about to give a topical sermon. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Um, I asked the guys, I think the last time we did topical messages was in 2006 in the new members material. Um, and, and the reason we normally don't do that, topical sermons are fine. They're helpful, can be really helpful on a, in a, on, on a message like this. We typically teach through one passage of Scripture at a time, work our way through passages. Um, but we, and, and so as a regular diet, that's how we're best fed. That's how we learn to read and interpret and apply the Scripture on our own is by walking through passages. Um, but sometimes it's helpful to have a, cover a topic and answer a question. And so we're going to go out of the norm and do that today. And the question that we're going to answer is, what is a disciple? So I'm going to look at a number of passages and not just this one. What is a disciple? And uh, we want to understand that. We want to ask questions like this. Am I a disciple? I mean, that's really important. If Jesus is saying make disciples, we should know, am I one? Uh, Am I making disciples? Is there any area of my life in which I'm doing and participating in that? Is our church making disciples? Is this what we are about? Listen, if the church was a factory and it's not, I hesitate to use such an impersonal metaphor, but if the church was a factory, the product would be disciples. That's what would come out of it. Now we're a family. And so maybe a better analogy would be that there's children And their children are to be born and children are to be raised and develop and grow. That might be a better picture. But if we were a factory, this would be the the product. The church is to make disciples. And it's really important because I think one of the reasons we are as weak as we are as an evangelical church in the U.S., of which we are a part, both the evangelical church in the U.S., uh, I think the evangelical church in the U.S., one of the reasons we are as weak as we are is because we've perhaps failed to understand what the goal is, that the gospel is to go and make disciples and mature disciples, that that's the purpose. And maybe we haven't asked what a disciple is. And so one of the tragic things in the church today is that by droves, young people are growing up in evangelical churches, and the majority report is that in adulthood they leave. That's the majority. That's what happens. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. But one reason may be is that they never really became a disciple to begin with. Author Michael Horton asks, instead of reaching the lost, are we losing the reached? Instead of reaching the lost, are we losing the reached? Are we making disciples of our own members, our own children, much less the nations? So are we clear on what a disciple is? What is the mission? Are we just called to gather a crowd? 
Are we called to lead people to pray a prayer, asking Jesus into their heart? Is that the mission? Are we trying to get people to come to a Sunday worship service? Is that the goal? Is that the mission, to get everybody in the room on a Sunday, maybe to get them to pitch in and maybe to occasionally make a donation? Is that the goal of the church? Is that the lofty ideal of what we are about? What is it that we are after? What are we measuring? As a church with our mission, what is our, what's our scorecard? What are we measuring to know if we're doing what Jesus wants us to do? What are we measuring? What are we counting to know whether or not we are about what God wants us to be about. Author Mike Breen writes, if you're counting converts, budget, or buildings, first and foremost, you're not counting the things that Jesus counted, and you're not counting the thing that will change the world, disciples. Make disciples. That's what Jesus called them to do. He gave his life, he rose, and he gave them the commission to now go and tell this good news so that you make other people who are just like yourselves disciples. Okay, I got seven things because that seems like a good Christian number. So I've got seven things about discipleship. Seven things about disciples or discipleship this morning. Number one, and I'm going to put my notes on the city because normally it's easy to follow. I'm in one passage. I'm going to be all over the Gospels and Acts this morning. So I'm going to upload my notes to the city so you can relax. You don't have to write all this down. You could write down the seven things on the scripture verses if you want. But uh, those of you who are real note takers and have to get it all, I'm about to start moving. So I want you to not feel the pressure. Number one, a disciple is a learner. The fundamental meaning of the word disciple is student. That's what it means. It means student. When you see the word disciple, you could substitute the word student. Now, we're going to take the next 30 minutes talking about what kind of a student, but that's what it literally means. It is a student. Now, a student in Jesus' day in first century Palestine who was was a student of of a rabbi was different than today. Today, if you met someone, say there you met someone, they're about, they look about 20 years old and you say, Hey, what do you do? And they say, I'm a student. What would your first question be? It would probably be, uh, what school do you go to? It could be, what are you studying? But it could be, where do you go to school? If you were a disciple or a student in Jesus day, that would not be the question. It would not be what school are you in? It would be, which rabbi are you discipling under? Who are you learning from? In Jesus' day, you didn't merely enroll in a school, but you attached yourself to a particular rabbi. You applied to study under a particular rabbi who you learned from, his teaching, his ways, his lifestyle. It was something like an apprenticeship of training. And so you weren't just sitting down in the back of the class, strolling in, barely waking up, 10 minutes late, jotting down a few notes and hopping out and showing up next week for the test. That wasn't student lifestyle, nor is it the lifestyle of any student in this church, but I'm sure. But that wasn't the student lifestyle. It wasn't just, I take a few notes and get a quiz at the end of the semester, then I'm gone, or a test at the end of the semester, then I'm gone. It was something very different. It was being a learner who was a student who was apprenticing under a leader. An introductory level, at an introductory level, we want to get that disciples are learners. We are learners before we are doers. 
A disciple is someone who learns before they do. This is part of when we talked about in August. This is part of why in Luke, uh, is it 10? In Luke 10, in the story of uh, Mary and Martha, I, I have that reference later. That may not be the right reference. But Mary and Martha, that's why in that story we'll recall that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. That was the position of a disciple. Rabbi sat and taught. They sat and taught, and their students sat around them. So Mary takes the position of a learner, the fundamental posture of a disciple. Her sister Martha is doing all kinds of stuff, and Martha ultimately gets corrected for being distracted by all her serving when she's missing the first duty of discipleship, which is to be a learner. God is in your house. It's great to make lunch for Jesus, but the posture of a disciple first is to be at his feet learning Praying, listening, this sort of thing is a learner. So we could say, we're going to have a definition here. We could start with saying a disciple is a learner. A disciple is not only a learner, a disciple is a follower. A follower. Think about the first call. If you remember the story of the disciples following Jesus, they didn't. So student life wasn't take your SAT, send in your applications and see who accepts you. That's not how it worked being in the Jesus school. That's not how it worked being a student of the rabbi, Jesus. What happened? He called people to follow him. And so we read, for instance, in Mark 1, his first calling, Mark 1, 16, he approaches Peter and Andrew. They are fishermen. And he says to them, quote, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That was the fundamental. What was the, so the posture is learner, but what's the call What's the call? He didn't say, see you in school, uh, you know, next Monday at 9 a.m. we start and I'll hand out the syllabus. He said, follow me. And I'm not mocking these other educational ways. They're, They're fine. I'm just saying it's different in what Jesus is doing. So the call to be a learner is one who is a follower, not just accumulating information, but one who is following. Uh, he, he later in Mark two fourteen he goes to Levi, Matthew, who's a tax collector. That is a scoundrel that is, uh, in culturally viewed as the scum of the earth among the Jews, because he is, he is pillaging, stealing from his own people. He's sold out. He's kind of a Benedict Arnold. He's sold out to the Roman government for it to line his own purse. But Jesus calls him to follow him. And this is, uh, this is very simple. It says in Mark 2, 14, he comes to Matthew and he simply says, this is the words, follow me, follow me. That was the entire invitation. So the people who were students, learners of Jesus were called to follow and they followed with their entire lives. They left what they had. There's a beautiful picture of, um, of uh, the, the fishermen in chapter one. Uh, there's two groups of fishermen that, that Jesus calls to follow him. There's Peter, Andrew, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And it says they dropped their nets and followed him. Drop the nets, walk away. That's what happened. Drop the nets and they follow him. They, they, and in James and John, it says they leave their father. Okay, so it's a follower who drops what he's doing. This was a reorientation of their relationships, their family. It was a reorientation of their profession, they follow Jesus. And so what they do is they attach themselves to him and they attach all their future to Jesus. They attach all their provision to Jesus. They attach all their hopes and dreams to Jesus. This is a disciple. They're saying, they are saying in essence, okay, Jesus came and said, follow me. I'm leaving everything. I'm pushing 
all the chips, if you'll for, uh, forgive the metaphor, I'm pushing all the chips to the center of the table, I'm in, completely in. I'm playing my card. That's all I've got. Everything in. I'm following him. And they live with Jesus and travel with Jesus as he serves, heals, preaches the kingdom, and, uh, uh, and, and comes sharing the good news with people, does miracles, this sort of thing. So the, for the original 12, the call to follow was literal. It meant a change in geography. It meant you left your... Uh, job, you left your family, and you traveled around. Now, a couple things about this. First of all, that's not the case with everybody in Jesus' day. Mary and Martha, which I just mentioned, they have a house. They didn't leave everything and follow him. They have a place that he can come stay. Zacchaeus, like Matthew, also a tax collector. We don't get any story that he leaves everything he has and starts following Jesus. He repents and pays people back and gives away what he has. But, but he, we don't get a sense that he moves to follow Jesus. It was a small group that geographically moved and followed him. And then once he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he's no longer physically on earth, no one can pick up and leave and physically follow Jesus because he's not there. This is one of the reasons that in the New Testament, when you read the letters, if you've ever thought about that, the, the, Paul's never writing to churches and saying, drop everything you're doing, leaving, and come on the road with me, like Jesus did. Um, that's not happening in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, as what happens in the New Testament is some people leave and go and are itinerant and move around. They're apostles, church planters, and those who associate with them are on their teams. So they move around. They preach the gospel. We studied this for a whole year, the book of Acts. They preach the gospel. People become Christians. They form a church. Once they form a church, then they write, they in turn write letters back to those churches. And when they write letters, what you find is a call to follow Jesus where you are. In other words, following Jesus means a change of life in your relationship. So there's a lot about how do you relate with other people in the church? They address things like your marriage. Because you're not leaving, but you are, you are in your marriage, you are following Jesus together. Talk about parenting, not because you're leaving your kids to follow Jesus, but because you're staying where you are and you're raising them to know Jesus. They talk about uh, work, because you're not dropping your nets and quitting your job to follow Jesus. You are following Jesus in your job. And so we get a different picture of radical discipleship in the New Testament. Some people change location. Some people have an apostolic kind of church planting gift, go to the nations, take the gospel to people that don't know him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Most people are called to follow Jesus where they are. Listen to this verse. This is, this is some of the radical discipleship because you're still called, I'm still called to follow, but it may look different than it did for them. Listen to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Paul writes, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. What's he saying? Love Jesus, mind your own business instead of everybody else's, follow him faithfully, be a witness where you are so you, you don't bother outsiders. They're not wondering what is up with them. They're working, they're normal. He's saying there's something about living your life, but doing it on mission for Christ, being filled with the Spirit, being light in the darkness, that you can follow him 
and work with your hands. You can follow him and live a quiet life. You can follow him and, in this verse, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Just that verse. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Mind your own affairs. It might be helpful to cut that out and put it on your phone, put it on your laptop, put it on your computer, where, computer wherever you access Facebook and social media. That reminder right there, God says to all of us, mind your own affairs. That would be a novel approach to life in the age of social media. But that's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. So radical discipleship is being salt and light and following where we, where we are, but intentionally following. That's the call, follow. So first we said a disciple is a learner. I'm going to add to the definition. A disciple is a learner who intentionally follows Jesus. A learner who intentionally follows Jesus. Number three, a learner, follower. Number three, a disciple is chosen. A disciple is chosen. People were not applying, in this case, to follow Jesus. They weren't applying for a spot in his rabbi school. He was calling them, right? He comes to, he comes to Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. Least likely guy that day to get called to follow him, and he gets called to follow. The fisherman, follow me. Listen to what Jesus says in John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Now, they follow willingly. They actually drop their nets. He didn't grab it out of their hands. He didn't give them a laser beam lock in their eyes that just caused them to, you know, as he goes back, they're just mindlessly following him or something like this. They willingly followed him. But they only willingly followed him because he took the initiative. It was his grace. It was his call. It was his pursuit that drew them to himself. And the same is true for us. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's not this that you decided to do that one day. It's that God came to you through the preached gospel, through the message of Jesus, and he opened up your heart and he opened up your eyes. The Bible says we are spiritually blind. We're spiritually deaf. We are spiritually dead. And by grace, God comes to us. We're undeserving. We are all Matthew at the tax collector's booth. We are all sinners. We are all opposed to God. We are all not following him, and he comes by and says, follow me, and something in us causes us to want to respond to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. That's grace. He calls us to himself, and that has a wonderful, humbling effect. I've got to believe that Matthew is walking around going, what in the world am I doing here with the Son of God? Does he know? I've got to believe that the guys who are fishermen are going, hey, we're not... Man, we're we're sitting around talking to the Pharisees. We're sitting around talking to the intellectual elite. We are arguing with the PhDs. Who are we? Six weeks ago, we were catching fish. What is this? But God called them. God empowered them. God loved them. There is a rest and a confidence in God. He chooses us, and he will keep us to the very end. So a real defining aspect of discipleship is that we are chosen. You do not choose me. I chose you. And appointed you to bear fruit is what Jesus says. So we could say that's being called by grace. Definition's growing. Called by grace, a disciple is a learner who intentionally follows Jesus. Called by grace, a disciple is a learner who intentionally follows Jesus. Number four, disciples are plural in the Bible. Disciples are plural in the Bible. Now, not in every instance, but usually the Bible refers to disciples and not disciple. Usually that is the case. So you find a disciple with disciples. You find a disciple 
among disciples. They follow together. And so whether it's the close band of 12 that are following Jesus or whether it's the church in the New Testament, disciples are in community together. So think about this. I'm going to read you two scriptures out of the, that reflect the church in the beginning. Uh, in Acts 6, so this is after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Peter has preached. Many people have believed. And there's now this bustling church, um, 3,000 converted on the first day, this bustling church in Jerusalem. And this is what Acts 6, 7 says. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's wonderful. So many disciples are in this church in Jerusalem together. It's a plural. Now, here's something that I found really uh, fascinating, because this may be somewhat why you don't hear Paul talking about disciples as much as you do Jesus. In Acts 11... We're in Antioch. This is now in Antioch. So the church has been going for some time. Uh, and, and Acts 11, 25, 26 says this. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church. So Saul's come. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So it seems that they get a new name. Christians are kind of a little Christ or a a Christ man or something like that. So we see a lot of language in the New Testament. Brothers, sisters, believer, Christians used a few times. We predominantly use that. I think it's only maybe three times in the New Testament. It's not the most common. So Jesus says make disciples, but the disciples start being called different things. Where There's different metaphors introduced. The body of Christ is, is introduced. The church is like a body. Uh, the, the family metaphors, like, like I said, brother and all that kind of stuff. So up until Acts 11, in the early church, they were just called the disciples, evidently. Where are you going? I'm going to a gathering of the disciples. Is that 12? No, that's all the followers of Jesus. That's what we call them. They're learners. They're followers. They've all been chosen by him. He's, he's opened all their eyes. They all have followed him. They've all believed in him. So it is plural. The church is a family of disciples. So when we gather here, this would be one way to look at it. We're Christians. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. We're, we're ultimately a family of disciples together. Uh, we're not solitary. As a matter of fact, the New Testament knows nothing of a solitary disciple. It, it's just not even, it's not even a category in view of Jesus or the New Testament writers that there would be a solo disciple. I follow, I'm, I follow Jesus, I'm a solo disciple. Even originally, that didn't ever work. It was, he calls people together. So we are to be disciples together, followers of Jesus, and we're to make disciples as a group. We make and mature disciples together. So um, we do so in community. Another thing I want to say about this is that when it says, here the disciples were first called Christians, it's talking about the whole church. So this is really important. This might, might be helpful to think about for some, for some of us. May, may have, um, we may have misunderstood this. A disciple equals Christian. It's the same thing. So a disciple is not graduate school Christian. Disciple is not varsity and the rest of us are on JV and one day. Disciple is not a leader. A disciple is just a Christian, someone who's come to believe in Christ and is now a learner, a follower chosen by him among other disciples. So it's, it's, it's not a great goal to be reached. It's like one day I'll become a disciple. That's the entry point. Follow me. That was the beginning. 
It wasn't, hey, think about this and work on it for a while, memorize a bunch of scripture, do a lot of good things, and then one day I'm going to come back and we'll see if you are ready to follow me at that point. That's not how Jesus did it. So following disciple, this is the beginning and was the very name of a Christian. So this was the fundamental identity. When Jesus is ministering, uh, this is the fundamental identity. Your fundamental identity, if you're a believer in Jesus, is that of disciple. You may be a father. All that means is you express your fatherhood. That's, not, that's a role. That's not your identity. You express your fatherhood as a follower of Jesus Christ. You may be a young person with parents. So you say, you know, you're a son or a daughter. Your fundamental identity, if you're a Christian, is a follower of Jesus, and you express your following to him by following your parents, honoring your parents, loving your, your parents. But you do that as a follower of Jesus. When you go to work tomorrow, you're an employee, but your fundamental Christian identity isn't worker guy or employer or IT or sales, salesperson or whatever it is that you do. Carpenter, whatever, whatever work you do, you, you go to work as a disciple of Jesus, following him in community with other disciples, and you are fulfilling your role of one who uh, serves Jesus as you do your work. So we're all Christians are disciples. So let's, let's, let's go back now. I'm just kind of building something here. A disciple is a learner. Disciple is a follower. We looked at scripture for that. Disciple is chosen. And a disciple is plural, that we could say in community. So called by grace, a disciple is a learner who intentionally follows Jesus in community. We do it with other disciples. Number five, here's the one you were waiting for. Disciples are called to die. <laughs> that's, that's what's on my paper. Disciples are called to die. Here is... When I was talking earlier about what are we producing as churches and as believers, this is perhaps one of the key misunderstandings, the point that Horton made about are we uh, reaching the lost or losing the reached that we talked earlier. That to be a disciple of Jesus is not just a learner or a follower. It is a call to die. In, in Mark's gospel, the, besides the cross and resurrection, the climax of the gospel, kind of where the, po- the story hits a major point is in Mark 8. And here's what happens in Mark 8. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, he asks them this question, who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, you, I mean, sorry, uh, Peter says, you are the Christ. Now, the disciples have misunderstood some things about Jesus, the whole gospel of Mark. Mark 8, he says, you are the Christ. One other uh, version says that he says it a little more fully. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, You know, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. It is the spirit that has opened up your eyes. The light bulbs go off. It is really clear. They fully, fully understand who uh, Jesus is as the Christ. I mean, understand all he's going to do, but they understand him as the Christ. And so right after that, uh, Peter kind of corrects Jesus after his moment of glory. (laughs) Jesus calls him the devil, almost says, get behind me, Satan says, well, at least the devil's speaking through you. You're not the devil, but the devil's speaking through you. So we do have that down moment, great moment, down moment. And then here's what happens that right after, right after we get it, he's the Christ. Next thing that happens, Mark 8, 34 through 35 and calling the church to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Okay? 
Discipleship is being a follower. Follow me. Whoever would come after me, whoever wants to be a follower, here's where we're going. That's what he says. Whoever wants to be a follower, here's what you will need to do. You will need to deny yourself and take up your cross. And that is a call to death. The cross in these days was not a symbol of any religion. The cross had no religious significance. You wouldn't go into a Jewish home or a Roman home and grandma cross-stitched some crosses on her sofa pillows. Nobody had a cross keychain. Nobody had it tattooed on them. And now it is a religious symbol. So if grandma's crocheting it, and somebody has a, a tattoo or a keychain or whatever it is. I'm not saying that's wrong. It has a different symbolism now than it did then. I'm just saying in Jesus' day, when Jesus says, take up your cross, he is, no one has any category for cross at this point except, except despicable, reprehensible means of torturous death. That's what it means. Not even spoken about in polite company. So he's saying, if you want to follow me, uh, if, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and die. Of this verse, I love what Mark Dever says. He said, that's not a good way to start a movement, right? Start right there. That's not a good way. Who wants to follow me? You must die. You must deny yourself. So a disciple is someone who dies to himself. Paul says, I die daily. It's not just a momentary thing. It's the lifestyle of a believer. Now let me talk about this a little bit. What we die to is we die to ourselves. We we deny ourselves is what he says and take up our cross. It doesn't literally mean physically harm yourself. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about denying yourself such that it is a death to ourselves. And so we have been bought with a price, the scripture says, and now Jesus owns us. So we die to ourselves to follow him. And now we are his. And so a disciple is someone who has received the grace of God, has been called by God, and has now had their sins forgiven, is coming to Christ. But now the lifestyle, now that they are a follower of Christ, they're denying themselves to come. And once they believe, their lifestyle is to deny themselves. And so it means that we die to things like getting our own way. It means the call to follow Jesus means that marriage is all about to be a disciple in marriage because your fundamental identity is not spouse but disciple. To be a disciple and express that through husbandry or wifery or whatever the word is, to be a husband and a wife, to do that means that I have died, I'm called to die to it being my way. If you're a young person and you're with your parents, you're under your, your parents' authority, you're, you're not on your own, you're a young person under your parents' authority, then to be a disciple and to follow them means death to your way, embracing God's way, which comes to you through your parents' way. So it is dying to our own ways. It's dying to our way and submitting ourselves to the authorities that are in our lives. That would be one thing. It's dying to... It's dying to being about me. It's death to craving your approval. So to die to myself means that I die to, to living for your love and worship and adulation and admiration of me. That's what it means to all of us, to die in that way. It means to die to taking the path of ease. It means I die to the idea that my life is all about how much comfort 
and pleasure and ease and avoidance of difficulty can I line up for myself? That, that is the antonym of a cross, the opposite of cross. So die, take up your cross and die means I'm dying to materialism. I'm dying to the idea that I am what I own and that my value is tied to what kind of value I have in my retirement account, what kind of value of a vehicle I'm driving, what kind of value of my house, my clothes. What do I own? That, that, that's not what I am about. The follower of Jesus, that's not how we're building our lives. It's dying to finding security in money. I can, I can relax because i got enough. Nobody ever has enough. That's deceptive. But it's not that if I could ju- I'm chasing that and then I'll feel secure. It's dying to finding security in people. If this relationship's okay, I'll be secure. If I get that relationship, I'll be secure. It's dying to placing security in our health or our circumstances. It's saying, again, I'm all in, Jesus. You are my security. When they drop their nets, they're saying, I attach my future to you. That's why he says, don't worry. I feed the birds. I'm going to take care of you, Jesus says in Matthew 6. So it's dying to that stuff. It's dying to our desire to control people and to control circumstances. What does that mean? It means dying to being the ruler of the universe. It means I will die to being God, and I will follow the one who is God. That's discipleship. It's saying I'm dying to that. I'm not, well, I don't control people in circumstances. I don't want to control. Wherever you worry, wherever you're anxious, wherever you're fearful, right around there will be something you're trying to control and master yourself. We all do that. And so following Jesus saying, I'm dying to that. It's dying to my glory, my status, my, my being known for my career or having a perfect family or a perfect marriage or a perfect appearance or to be more knowledgeable than someone else or more popular or better liked than someone else or wittier than someone else or more sought after than someone else or, or more, uh, you know, more handy than someone else or more technologically savvy than so whatever your category of glory is. Beating other people on video games. I don't care what it is. Having more likes on your post. You know, having more retweets for what you put out. If your glory is in retweets, if your glory is in social media followers, dying to all of that stuff that says it's not about my glory. Taking up a cross means I'm following you. I'm following you. That's disciple. That's the basis of disciple. And in some cases, it means dying. Not in our country at this point, and maybe never. I don't know our future. But there are people right now dying for their faith. So for some, it means literal death in martyrdom. This is why Paul calls himself a slave of Christ. That's an identity as well. A slave of Christ. That's a disciple. It's a disciple. It's saying he owns me. I've been bought with a price. So he doesn't just own me for the 90 minutes I sit here on Sunday morning. He doesn't just own the 10% of my income I give, if I do that even. He doesn't just own that part of my income. He doesn't just own my time, the 15 minutes that I read my Bible in the morning. He doesn't just own those spiritual moments. That's not a partial death. He's not just saying, you know, get a little bit sick for Jesus and have a little discomfort, have a pain now and then in your back, die. That's, That's what he says. Now... 
where is the good news in all of this? Well, here's the good news. Because in that verse, he says, deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Here's what Jesus is saying. Being a disciple is dying to yourself and gaining Jesus, which is gaining everything. Gaining everything. This is one of my favorite parables. It's one verse. I've never memorized this, but I think I am. It's a one-verse parable. Most parables are long, right? Stories. A guy did this, guy did that, whatever. Listen to this parable. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, the reign of Christ, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's what he's saying. Giving up all that you have so that you gain this treasure, this glorious treasure. I mean, really, when he was going to get the treasure, did his technology matter that much at that moment? You know, did did anything else really matter at that moment when he was going to gain the treasure? The parable shows the great value of the hidden treasure, that Jesus is far greater and worth far more than we could ever give up to follow him. You could give up everything and you wouldn't have lost a thing if you know Christ. Because he is more beautiful, he is more worthy. When we die to ourselves, we gain everything in Jesus who is worth infinitely more than anything that we could lose. And I think this is the missing piece in my life, our lives. I think if I could go global, I think this is a missing piece, not the, but a missing piece in the evangelical church in the U.S. This speaks of our weakness that we need more Jesus, we need more true gospel so that we become so taken with Christ that we love him, that we see the value in him, that we would gladly lose our lives to gain the treasure. He's the treasure. He is everything and all of our petty little pathetic goals and glories are nothing compared to the one who shines brighter than the sun. Compared to the one who condescend to suffer for us, to give us his life. He's, his love is beyond description. His mercy and grace is beyond our understanding. We gain him. And so that's what the life of a disciple is all about. That's what the church is called to make. Jesus doesn't say, okay, guys, I did all of these things. Like, oh, spoke the universe into existence with a word to start with. That's pretty significant. Lived a perfect life, gave my life, paid the judgment that is due you for eternity. Have been raised to life. Flip over a couple chapters. He's going to pour out the Holy Spirit. So God's going to live inside of us. He didn't do all that and then give them a commission like this. Go and see if you can win some fans for Jesus. Get somebody that'll raise their pom-poms. Raise the roof for this guy. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, go out and see if, tell some stories and win me some admirers. He doesn't say, go out and find some people that are interested in my ideas. Now look for some moral people who can actually do some of this stuff, who will then morally, selectively, of course, obey the things that they believe in my word. Go go find some moral people who can just get polished up and sort of PR and represent me real well. That isn't what he said. 
He says, go find disciples. Go make disciples. People who will see the treasure and be saying, I want to follow him. And that requires my death. And that's a glory because I get him. The great news is that we don't just die. Think back to the baptism. We don't just die, but we live in him. It's not just that we die to ourselves. It's not just that we're willing to pass with our own trivial kingdoms, our own minute, puny, pathetic things about it's all about me. It's not just that we get to leave that, but we get to rise and receive his power. We're raised to walk. That's what Romans 6 says. Buried right over here. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in new life. So the people that die get God and they get new life. By faith, they receive Jesus. We receive his power. He comes to live inside of us. It's wonderful. Discipleship is about seeing and treasuring and then following Jesus. Listen, nobody follows Jesus because someone sits around and tells them, try harder, run faster, work more. That doesn't, that doesn't lead people to Jesus. The guy didn't go sell all that he had because someone told him to get rid of all your sorry stuff. The guy sold everything he had because he saw the treasure. That's why he gave it up. We need more treasure. We need more Jesus. That's what we need. The church is weak in making disciples, and I include myself in that. We are weak not because we don't understand the rules. People basically understand the rules. We don't see Jesus. That's the problem. Because when we see the glory of Christ, it is worth turning from sin and pursuing him. We look at what we're holding and we say, this is worthless. Why would I want to build my life on sand, which will be washed away at the beach? I want to build my life on something that matters and is enduring. We will repent when our hearts are changed through knowing him. Through knowing him. So disciples die, which sounds really painful, and it is, but it's really glorious and it's really wonderful because we get Christ in return. So a disciple is one who's called by grace. A disciple is a learner who loses his life, who loses his life to intentionally follow Jesus in community. That's everything I've said so far. So we're building this sentence. Called by grace, a disciple is a learner who loses his life to intentionally follow Jesus in community. Number six, two more. Number six, disciples become more like Jesus. Discipleship is a lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Christ. And even in Judaism and even in the Greco-Roman world, the, the goal of a student was to be like their teacher. Your goal was if you could get with the right rabbi and train under him, then you could become a great rabbi. This is, this is I think, how it works in Ph.D. studies today even. If you can find a well-known, highly reputable, producing, uh, you know, well-respected Ph.D. To, to train under, to be your, your mentor to oversee your dissertation project, then you've got a better shot at being a professor yourself. Same thing there. In their world, the goal was to be like the person you studied under. And it's no different with Jesus' disciples. Luke 6, 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's what Jesus says. When everyone is fully trained, that's equipped, discipled, helped to grow, we will be like our teacher. The difference is that with Jesus' disciples... Uh, he is actually conforming us into his image. He's not just saying, go read all this stuff and do all this stuff and reach my level. He's saying, die, believe, die, 
come to my word, read, and I'm going to come inside of you. The Spirit of God's going to come in, and He's going to start changing our desires and making us more like Jesus. As we read His word, as we see where we fall short, as we repent, confess sin, repent, turn, follow, receive forgiveness, embrace His word, the Spirit of God is changing us. We're putting off old habits, old sins, old glories. Listen, that stuff about living for my glory, that's with us all day long. But we're putting that to death by his power, by his spirit, through his word, in community, with his help. I mean, that's a whole, whole other teaching but that's vital. So we're doing that, but we're doing it by his power. See, with the other rabbis, you went, and they didn't say, you know, one day I'm going to come inside of you and make you like me. They're not God, so they can't say that. And if they did, the line's very short at their school, at their applications. Very short. But Jesus is God and demonstrated who he is by rising from the dead. So he says that and he does it. Listen to what he says. We're not just learning of him. We're united to him. We're one with him. What does Jesus say in John 15? I am the vine. You are the branches. So what he says is, here's how our relationship works. Yes, you die. But when you die, you're connected to me and you're a branch and fruit's going to come out of you because you're attached to me, the living branch. So you're going to bear fruit by abiding in Christ, by being attached to Christ. So he calls us to be changed by submitting ourselves to him, by living right here under his word, by abiding in his word, his spirit, with his people, in prayer, in meditation, thinking about him, relating with him, worshiping him. And as we do that, he, he produces fruit through us, he lives inside us and changes us. That's glorious. Disciples become more like Jesus. Disciples become more like Jesus. That is, that is the goal. It's a process. It's a lifelong process of listening to his word, responding through the power of the spirit, obeying, repenting where we fail, and we fail regularly in many ways, embracing the grace of God, recognizing what Jesus has done for us on the cross, coming back to the cross and resurrection, finding our forgiveness and our joy and our welcome, you know, getting our very clear what our identities are from the New Testament. He's the father that's adopted us into his family. There's no condemnation. Nothing can separate us from his love. So we are declared righteous by the judge. We are loved by the father and in his family. We are following Jesus, attached to him. He dwells in us. We're, he's, he, we're, we're the branches. He is the vine. All of these kinds of images, and we grow as we do that. Uh, let's see, I have some stuff about hearing from him, from the word and doing. I'm going to save that, skip that for time. I'm just sharing with you what's going on in my head. Okay. Uh, so called by his grace, a disciple is a learner who loses his life, which we said, to intentionally follow Jesus in community in order to become more like Jesus. So that's the goal, We're trying to become more like Jesus. Here's the last point. Disciples make disciples. This is how the world is reached, that Jesus had this idea that I'm going to work in you and that you go and help others meet me so that I will work in them and you'll make disciples in them. So it multiplies. It multiplies. Discipleship is a multiple. It goes viral is how we'd say it. It is something that does. We are not the terminus. We're not the end. Discipleship does it. Relationship with God does not end on me. I'm not a faithful disciple if I'm just being a learner. I'm not a faithful disciple if I am just, you know, uh, being a follower or if I'm just dying to some things in my life. But ultimately, I want to be one that's being used by God, 
very key. He's the vine, we're the branches, by grace, used by him, by his spirit, to help make other disciples, to help make new disciples, people that meet him, and to help make other disciples mature as well. So when we say make disciples, that can be making that can be introducing people to Jesus, but sometimes that could also be thought of as helping people grow because we're to teach them, make disciples by teaching them to obey all that I taught you, Jesus said in Matthew 28. But we see that. We want to reach people with his good news. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18, we see that those who are reconciled to God are called ambassadors of reconciliation. We're reconciled, why? So that we can tell other people, we can represent the king as an ambassador and tell other people what it means to be reconciled. So a call to follow him is a call to be part of his mission, to see other people meet him. It is amazing that God does all this for us. For him to say, just come to school and I'll teach you some things, oh, it's so much more. I'll give you myself. I am the treasure. I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you my spirit. I'll call you to follow me and fill you and grant you gifts and put you among a community of people with gifts that you can grow and mature and use your gifts uh, for For my glory, I'm going to speak through you. The mission's going to come through you, but I'm poor and weak and ignorant. Welcome to discipleship. We all are. We all are. And he's going to use us and work through us to reach people. I mean, the, 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 the first venue, the first button on the shirt, if we could say, if you're a parent, and some of us are, some of us aren't, but if you are a parent, the first venue of discipleship is in the home. That's the first place we make disciples uh, as parents that we're called to. And we need God's help in that. We are desperate in that. We want his help. But he calls us to take his word and pass it on and to to make disciples. We need the church's help in that. And that's where we find equipping, and that's where we find community, and that's where we find help. So that's the first place. But even beyond there, we are all called to to find a way to, to be an ambassador of reconciliation to others. Now, this is what's so key. It's not separate from... Evangelism is not separate from discipleship. This is how it goes. I, I think I've thought this way at times. Um, used to think this way at times, I think. Is that, you know, there's evangelism. That's talking about people about Jesus. And then there's discipleship. That's becoming more mature in Jesus. But you can't become more mature in Jesus and leave making disciples. That is part of becoming more mature in Jesus. And it's not less important. It's not less important than reading the Bible. It's not less important than uh, giving. It's not less important than serving. It's not less important than loving my wife. It's not less important than honoring your parents. It's not less important than telling the truth. It's not less important than being sexually pure. It's a command to go and make disciples. And we all need help in this. And we want to help. We want to grow together as a church. I want to grow in this. But it's helpful to not see evangelism as separate from discipleship. To be a disciple is to be one who makes disciples. It replicates. It reproduces. And then we help others grow in him. So it's integrated. It's integrated. And that's what the church is all about. That is our mission. This is what we are called to make. We are called to make people who are called by grace A disciple is a learner who loses his life to intentionally follow Jesus in order to become more like Jesus and to make more disciples. That is really clunky and will never see the light of day in print, I'm sure. But that's what I am doing, and this is why I don't do very many topical sermons. Let's say I did one in 2006, eight years. I'll do another one in 2022. It's a lot of work, but I'll do another one in 2022. It's coming. But that's what it is. If we take all these little windows from the Gospels and see, we see it's called by grace. We're chosen. We're fundamentally a learner. That's the basis of discipleship. 
We attach ourselves to Christ as a learner. We lose our life. That's defining of a disciple. And we intentionally follow him, uh, follow Jesus, so that we can become more like him. And so we can make more disciples. That's really the process. So that's what I'm called to do and what you're called to do and what we're called to do. And that's really, uh, by God's grace, how we find out, okay, if that's the target, how do we get at that target? That's what we're, by God's grace, seeking. That's the fruit we're seeking to bear in your life and in people who don't know Christ, but you know in their lives. That's what we're all seeking to grow in these things. So as you're going, make disciples. What's a disciple? Well, we just spent an hour on it. Make disciples and then baptize them when they come to believe and then teach them. Continue to teach them how they can become more like Jesus and go make more disciples so that the world has a witness and that as many people as possible come to Christ. Here's how I want to conclude. I could conclude macro. Our mission, give you the marching orders. Uh, Everybody, hands in here, ready, break, and we're going into the game. I could give you that, but I'm not going to go team. I'm going to go individual. And I want to ask you this. Are you a disciple? Because it's great what the mission of the church is, but I want to ask you personally, are you a disciple? Have you ever come to see your sin and the judgment of God upon you for your sin. We're all sinful, all deserve his judgment. Have you ever come to see that Jesus died for your sins? And have you ever come to put all your faith, put in all your chips, give up everything, say, I believe in him alone, not my good works, only him. That's the only way I can be saved. Believe in Jesus. Turn from your sin, die to yourself, turn from your sin, believe in him. Believing in him is dying to yourself. It's saying there's no other way. He is my goal. He is my treasure. I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to receive eternal life, and I want to learn and follow him. I want his spirit to come in me and give me new life for eternity. Have you ever come to that place? Some of the things I talked about today will let you know. Well, I've come to church all my life. That wasn't one of the categories. We should come to church to learn and to serve and to grow and to be like Jesus. Yes, but that, that's not a disciple. That's an attender. Well, I've, uh, well um, I have prayed when I was in trouble. Okay, that's a prayer. When it's convenient, that's a prayer, but that may not be someone who's ever met Jesus and had their life changed and saying, over the course of time, I've rebelled, I've been up and down, I've had tough times. But if you mark my life on a graph, you'd say, the direction of my life overall is I am a follower of Jesus. I'm weak, yes, maybe inconsistent, I'm not saying perfect, but that's the direction. I'm following Jesus. I'm learning of him. He's more valuable to me than anyone else. That's why I'm here today. If that's you, you've really met him. He's really changed you. You're in community. You say, I've got evidences of faith in my life. Wonderful. Then let's follow him together more and press on and let's bring some other people with us. How about that? But if you haven't done that, then you should become a disciple. You should believe today. God calls you, follow me, believe in Jesus today. Because if you don't, and you chase your own way, and you chase your own life, you will lose your life, Jesus said. What you're chasing, you will lose, and you will spend eternity in hell apart from him. If you say, I'll lose it all now, and I'll take the treasure, then you get the treasure, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, Jesus now, and for eternity, you will be with him. Glorious, most, most wonderful. Um, That's what you're created for. So turn to him today. We're going to close and pray. I'm going to pray. We're not going to have the prayer team. I'm just going to close by praying right now. And I'm going to ask that if you, if you would like to meet the Lord, you've never known him, I'm going to pray. And you just pray with me in your own heart, your own self, in your own quiet where you are. You just pray something like this to the Lord. Lord, we, we thank you that you've called us and that you've given us new life in Christ. And we just want to pray uh, for anyone here who doesn't know you. And for those who don't know you, we pray today 
that this would be their heart, that they would just say, Lord, I am sinful. I am under your, uh, under your judgment. I deserve your judgment. I have not kept your law perfectly. I am not holy like you. And so I cry out for mercy. I ask for forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose for me. And now I open my life to him. I give you, I turn from my sin. And I want to follow you and know you and experience new life. Spirit of God, give me new life. Make me a new person. Give me the power to follow you for all my life. Lord, I pray there'd be those who are coming to that place and experiencing you now. Lord, would you do that? Grant new life in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.com dot o-r-g